I'm delighted to welcome Laura Shenton to my show this evening. Laura is a local author who has recently published not one, not two, not three, but four books about music albums. And we also have Alan Jepson joining us, who's a promoter. And he's going to tell us a bit about what he does and how we can get hold of your work a little bit later on. So welcome, Laura. Welcome, Alan. Hello. Hi. Hi, both of you. So, Laura, we have four book releases. Congratulations on the books. Um, they're really interesting. They certainly like provide a, a really in-depth insight into how each album was constructed, you know, from a factual, objective viewpoint. So we have Kate Bush with the, the album The Kick Inside, Tears for Fears, The Hurting. Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick, and Deep Purple Stormbringer. So, Laura, yeah. how did how did this all come about? Well, I've already um, done biographies, and when you write a biography, um, it's always something of an overview, purely because you can't go into everything in the detail that you might prefer to. <laughs> so the purpose of doing the in-depth series is that the format provides the scope to go into a lot more detail with regards to just one album. So um, as you've mentioned there, it's always one album per book. And that's really, really good to be able to do that because every album has a story in terms of what was intended and how it was reviewed at the time. So there's a lot of nostalgia and legacy preservation going on there. How did you decide on the choices of artists and album? Are these kind of um, favourites of yours? Yeah, everything, all, every album I write about or, or every artist I write about is always something that I'm really interested in because the amount of research um, and sustained interest you have to have to kind of get that story across in the best way possible is is really important so um i when i pitch to wyma the publisher um they'll they'll give me the green light and i'm like yes let's do this Aww, that's good so as you were saying there's, there's an awful amount of research extensive research that goes in to putting together a book of this nature how did you even begin with that process well, I suppose um, the advantage is that because it's they're all subjects that I really care about anyway, um, so it's stuff that I've been researching even before I thought to write a book um, on any of these things. Um, and a lot of the material in the book is derived from like vintage newspapers, vintage magazines, all the stuff that's at risk of getting lost somewhere along the way <laughs> if it's not archived effectively. So yeah. I think it's really important to preserve that stuff. Certainly. So you'll have read articles then over the years um, and you'd have listened to interviews then with the artists and, and gathered that together. Yeah, and um, it's especially the case that I chose not to interview anybody <laughs> for any of these books. And it was a very deliberate decision to, to go with that route, because I think when you interview somebody um, in the present, they're always going to talk about what happened with hindsight and all of these iconic albums. We, we take it for granted now that they they're you know they're iconic they were successful but at the time things are often more tentative so by referring to 
older interviews, um, you know, from like the 70s or the 80s, whenever, you know, whichever applies to each album, it gives a, a fuller picture with regards to what was going on at the time. Sure, yes. And then so they're completely factual, aren't they? Completely objective um, in that respect. So let's start with Kate Bush, shall we? Let's talk about The Kick Inside. So this album was the one that very much propelled her into fame, didn't it? And there's three very distinct songs on the album. And of course, everyone will know Wuthering Heights, you know, that being one of them. And you know, what fascinates me about this, um, this song, reading in your book, was the fact that she wrote it, you know, almost at midnight under a full moon. I think that's really interesting. And the fact that she hadn't even... Even um, read Wuthering Heights. She she'd been told the story by her brother. Um, so she she read the story after she'd written the song. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's what's fascinating about a lot of Kate Bush's music. Like she's taken inspiration from so many different sources. And when she, her first sort of encounter with Wuthering Heights was through a TV show um, rather than the book. And I love that because she took the essence of how she perceived it to be rather than, you know, going through a massive kind of fact check frenzy. Yes, <laughs> and, um, yes, I suppose. Yeah. It's a powerful piece. <laughs> Yeah, because then the emotion really comes through, doesn't it? And um, I didn't realise that her brother was friends with Dave Gilmore, who kind of put her in touch as well to help her professionally and kind of get that first deal as well with EMI. Mm, definitely. I mean, to have someone like Dave Gilmore, you know, champion your work at the time would have been a massively big deal because obviously by the mid-70s, Pink Floyd were were massive and you know to have that kind of help with somebody saying hey listen to this EMI <laughs> that's got to be a, a big advantage but I'd, I'd like to think that Kate Bush would have been successful either way. Yeah I think so because she's just clearly so talented you know that voice and and that kind of there's no one quite like her is there? <laughs> Definitely. And her voice is is so distinctive. And I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I think it's beautiful. But in the books, I've worked really hard to be objective because sadly, rightly or wrongly, a lot of people were like, what is this? Because it stood out so much at the time. Um, but that's probably a good thing because I think, you know, her work is, like you said, it's just so unique and it's got a lot of enigma about it as well. Yeah, very authentic. Let's move on now to Tears for Fears. So this is the Hurting album. Um, so this album's very much inspired by psychology, philosophy. Um, both Roland, Orzabel and Kurt Smith came from troubled childhoods, didn't they really? And, you know, there's all sorts of kind of um, themes of pain and primal theory. So what do you think was interesting with researching this? It's such an amazing album, The Hurting, because like you say, um, on the surface of things, it would be so easy for it to just be dismissed as, oh, another 80s synth pop album. But um, yeah, there's so much reference to like the psychology, um, the theory of Arthur Janov and his primal scream and it's such a bold album because, um, you know, they could have gone for a safer subject matter, but the fact that they didn't is what really makes it stand out. Because at the time of making it, they had no idea as to whether it was going to be successful or not. But of course, with the Mad World single, it really kind of turned things around for them. 
really in contrast with other pop artists at the time that had much more sort of joyful meanings with their songs, I suppose. Mm, and it's it's so stark as well because, like, the famous lyric in Mad World, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I mean, that's that's a real gut punch and it kind of links into that um, primal scream um, idea. I mean, I, I'm not from a psychology background, but I, I did lots of research on it um, for the book because um, Kurt and Roland spoke a lot at the time about, you know, parts of that theory that they'd applied to their lyrics. And it's that whole kind of thing about just being candid and honest about the fact that, you know, life's hard emotions are difficult and I think that's what's really beautiful about the album because it strongly gets that across it's a very strong album cover as well isn't it this child sort of curled up almost in the fetal position as well quite a brave um image at that time yeah and it it's like an it's a really unusual cover because like you say um around this child you know curled up looking all upset and everything it's just like a beige like a beige background there's no like triangles and wavy pink lines or anything like that so it's very um deliberate in in what it wants to get across and I think that makes it a fascinating album because you know it seems that they didn't help you know hold back anything really sure yeah fascinating stuff Okay, let's move on to Jethro Tull now and Thick as a Brick. So this album is a 43-minute-long prog rock epic song. Um, You know, when I think of Jethro Tull, I have this image of Ian Anderson, you know, on one leg, um, playing the flute and kind of spouting whimsical nonsense. Um, And, you know, so this album, it really kind of um, sums up that sort of surreal comedy and that Monty Python um, kind of influenced entertainment, I suppose. So what made this fascinating, as if I have to ask really, but what made this a fascinating album um, to kind of deconstruct? Um, well, like you say, the comedy element of it, I mean, I've done a whole chapter on that because the there's a lot of irony in the album um, because it, it came about because um, their previous album, Aqualung, released in 1971, everybody just assumed it was a concept album and Ian Anderson was thinking, well, not necessarily. And with prog rock being what it was all the time with the likes of ELP and yes, um, Jethro Tull took the stance of, right, if they want a concept album we'll we'll give them one and consequently um thick as a brick was intended to be a bit tongue-in-cheek uh but of course it took off in a way that musically people really responded to it i mean lyrically there's there's a lot centered on the lyrics of that album but it did well in non-english speaking countries as well so melodically there's there's a lot going on there it's kind of got the short songs then it's got the instrumental passages linking through it's got the the texture the harmonies you know there's a bit of everything isn't there the folky the the silly um you know the serious oh yeah love it and you know the guitar work as well so you've got Anderson doing a lot of acoustic stuff you've got Martin Barr doing lots of amazing parts on the electric guitar and it's it's just so full of ideas and yet as a whole piece it really comes together what I thought was interesting as well was the um, recording process. So Ian Anderson would write the lyrics in the morning um, at the Rolling Stone studio and then his 
bandmates would join him later in the afternoon, wouldn't they? Then I just thought that was quite interesting as well, that he'd start to write everything and then, and then they'd come and, and make the music. Yeah, and the album's a lovely document um, almost of the fact that everybody in the band was working so well together at that point, um, so much so that, you know, it was the same lineup of Jethro Tull responsible for Passion Play, War Child, Minstrel in the Gallery, and that took them all the way up to uh, 1975. But, yeah, I love the spontaneity um, with which Thick as a Brick was developed, um, and ironically, it took them longer to do the cover art <laughs> than the actual <laughs> <laughs> I love the passion coming through when you're talking about your books, Laura. Uh, let's talk about Deep Purple then now. So Stormbringer was the ninth studio album, but only the second one made with the third lineup. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that was largely why Stormbringer is such an interesting album in Deep Purple's history, because, it, like you say, it was the second album made by the third lineup. So, you know, David Coverdale, Glenn Hughes um, as the new guys. And of course, you had Richie Blackmore, John Lord, Ian Pace, who were there from day one back in the late 60s. So the first album that the third lineup did was Burn. And, you know, that was very cohesive because everybody kind of knew their place. But by the time it came to making Stormbringer, there was a lot of conflict with regards to, you know, who has the most say in what happens. And ironically, that's great for the listener because the album is so varied in terms of the musical style. So you've got your rock, um, you kind of like acoustic, but you've also got um, a lot of like funk and soul influences. So it's a real mashup and a lot of Deep Purple fans are a bit on the fence about it because it's not machine head, um, it's not in rock. But I think that's a good thing because there's a real story behind it and I, I wanted to get that across in the book. Fantastic. Yes, you certainly did. Uh, would you say, what would you say out of the four, if you had to choose, do you have a favourite book? That's a hard hmm. question, isn't it, really? Because they're your babies, <laughs> yeah. aren't they? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's <laughs> like you make them all. I think writing them um, is always a different experience because I think for every um, album, the emphasis is always on quite a different thing. So with Jethro Tull, there was a lot of comedy um, going on, but with Deep Purple, there was a lot of drama because, of course, it was the album that made Richie Blackmore decide to call it a day with Deep Purple, and then he went off and did Rainbow. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's enjoyable to... I've enjoyed writing all of them. I, I can't pick a favourite, and we've, we've got more coming out um, yet to be announced in, in a few months' time. So um, they're all That's based on my... exciting stuff, isn't it? Yeah, so your <laughs> yeah. favourites, and you're just going to keep researching, gathering information and writing. So, yeah, who knows then what's next? You also write um, a lot of other books as well, don't you? you you've published children's fiction and short stories. Yeah, I've had a few um publications in some anthologies gothic because I like anything a bit weird and wonderful <laughs> and then um in later in the year I've got some children's books coming out as well because I think writing's very addictive so it's nice to have that balance of like research orientated projects and then things that are for a different audience as well but yeah writing's awesome everybody should do it it's awesome <laughs> and how do you set up your day as a writer are you quite strict about the timings that you would um go in and start work no I never I never force it because okay. I think for every hour that you you're trying to write like or get blood out of a stone you're better off like going and doing something else so that when when you have got that drive it it, 
it just flows. So, yeah, I, I kind of go with how the muse takes me, really. I like that. So maybe because some people work best at night, don't they? Sort of night hours and they start to create and come alive. And I, I guess that works. You know, it's such a creative thing to do, isn't it? Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not like Ian Anderson. I, I can't be in the studio for like eight in the morning. <laughs> Wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, Laura. Well, I, they, they're all really, really interesting books, and they'd make great gifts for people who, um, you know, ha- are a fan of those particular artists. That you know, they certainly would. Um, a great read. So. Well done. Congratulations on those books. I'm going to just um, speak briefly now to Alan because I know that he's a promoter and I think he can tell us how we can get hold of your books, Laura. Well, you can actually um, get a hold of um, Laura's books from the usual outlets like um, Amazon, Waterstones and um, various other online bookshops. But the best place to go is... um, obviously Weimar publishing page, um, page and and go from there. So it would be, um, well, that's Weimar spelt W-Y-M-E-R dot co dot UK, I think. Or is it Weimar publishing dot co dot UK? I can't remember, Laura. I can't either, but it's definitely Weimar, like you say, W-Y-M-E-R. Uh, it's a really unique word, which is awesome because if you Google it, you you'll find it. I'm sure that will direct us straight to your books, Laura. And so, Alan, what else did you want to tell us about your role? Oh, basically, I I promote uh, books to the press and the radio. So it's mostly been so I haven't done. I've not yet to I've yet this nonfiction books at the moment. Um, Uh That's why I'm willing to uh, that's why I'm willing to promote any. So if any publishers or authors are listening uh, I do promote non-fiction books willing to consider fiction although I've never promoted fiction yet but uh, I'm still interested um, so whether you've, you're um, with a, a publisher or you're self-publishing um, do get in touch with me and uh, we'll take it from there fantastic so that's a message to any authors out there thanks alan and laura thanks so much for the chat i've really enjoyed it this evening congratulations on your books i look forward to reading more books in the future it's quite exciting what you've yet to release as well with these music artists thank you very much indeed thank you it's been a pleasure ah thank you so much